Oscar. I'm really glad to see the smaller size here this morning. It's a lot less intimidating. Uh, my name is Jessica, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is uh, 6-2008, and uh, I'm from Lexington, Kentucky, and um, I've got a sponsor, and her name is Robin L., and I have sponsees, and I usually meet them on Sundays of every week, and um, you know, I try to stay in the three legacies, and uh, that's what makes me whole. Um, I uh, originally am I'm from, oh, I want to say first, cause see, I'm such, I'm so selfish that, like, I didn't even think about it until I heard speakers, they're, like, thanking the conference, you know what I mean? And, I, and that never even freaking occurred to me. I'm like, you better write that down somewhere, that you got to thank the conference, you know what I mean? So, thanks, conference, and, um, you know the rule 62 and it's been on kind of on my mind big time in the last week but I was asked a year ago to to speak at this and um Andrew the guy he actually got COVID so that asked me um so thank you for that and um you know I appreciate the opportunity to come I, I wish I like I, I almost think it would be easier not to hear that speakers from last night because they were just so good I'm like man the bar is so high you know what I mean that's my brain you know what I mean it's like uh, I'm not going to be able to measure up here um but yeah I'm from Lexington Kentucky which is just south of here if you're not from the area uh I was actually originally born in New York um that's where my my family's from my dad's family um upstate not the city a lot of people are confused. They just think New York is just one big city, but it, there's actually a state attached to it. Uh, you know, people would ask me, like, did you ever get stabbed? You know, and my, my alcoholic brain would, like, after a while, you know, I just got tired of being so boring, and I'd be like, yeah, you know. Uh, mugged and everything, you know. Um, so... My uh, family is from uh, upstate New York, and um, my parents, they they like to, they, I don't know why, they moved a lot growing up, and my dad um, got a scholarship to UK, and so we moved down here to Lexington, and then we moved back up to New York, and then we moved back down to Frankfurt, and um just a lot of moving when I was growing up, and, and, you know, these kind of things don't make me an alcoholic, but but definitely, um, you know, the spiritual malady that I suffer from, this feeling of, like, not being good enough, right, and, like, not having the instructions for life, and not uh, being comfortable in my own skin, and just feeling completely out of, you know, out of wit sometimes. <clears throat> it certainly didn't help that, um, and it certainly didn't have my defect of character of dishonesty, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, there's no, like, nobody can check on anything, you know? So I moved to a new place, and who knows what the hell I'll tell you, you know, because you don't know, right? Um, so I, fi we finally settled in Frankfort, Kentucky when I was um, a freshman in high school, and um, <clears throat> just growing up, 
um, you know, both of my parents uh, drink, and um, my mom, not until recently, which I I, I kind of thought she may have had an issue along the way. She got a DUI and stuff like that, but her, you know, she was always so um, elegant, I guess is the word, and um, poised, and she was an English teacher, a high school English teacher, and she did drama and stuff like that, and you know, back in the 70s, she had lived in New York City, and she had dated, uh, you know, the Count from Sesame Street, and, you know, <laughs> and she was just like, she was kind of magical, you know, and, um, but, you know, she always drank, and, and, you know, anytime she picked me up from school, she'd have a drink, and, you know, to me, that was just really normal to drink and drive. I didn't realize there was an issue with that until I got arrested, pretty much. <laughs> and, but, you know, gin and tonic is just, you know, what you do, right? And um, So, for me, watching the consumption of alcohol, it was like, it was just what happened. You know what I mean? You got home from work, and, like, as long as you had put in that good day's work and you had, you know, done that... Like, yeah, that was that was your reward, you know, and I would watch my mom's face switch from tension to cool, you know, with that first drink. And um, I can remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait until that can happen to me because the switch was just, you know, automatic, and I always felt so out of my skin, especially the older I got. And um, the first time I ever drank was... Uh, or, you know, I, I drank here and there. I mean, just, you know, my parents' stuff. But, you know, out on my own, you know, it was some Boone's strawberry wine with my friends. And and I can remember that feeling of just, um, wow. You know, there it was. You know, that was it. You know, and um, something clicked. And it was, and it was like, this is my new, my new love. And this is where I need to be. And why does anybody why would anybody do anything else but this, you know what I mean? Um, so going through, uh, high school, um, I want to say school was easy for me, but I mean, it really, it really wasn't, I wasn't really that smart, but I did have parents that were educators. So like, it wasn't an option to not do school. Um, you know, that my dad worked, um, in administrative department of ed and, my mom was an English teacher, so growing up, you know, <clears throat> as long as my grades were up, my conduct could kind of be overlooked, right? Which was good for me, you know, because my conduct always was just horrible. Uh, I was, you know, I can still remember I had a Spanish teacher, and uh, she looked at me one day, and I was in high school, and she said, she said, you know, Jessica, she said, do you ever do you think any man's ever gonna marry you the way you act? You know what I mean? And uh you know, after you know, being married twice and two divorces, I should have said, you know, can you put that in writing, please? You know, she acts like it was a badge of honor to get married and I mean I guess it is, but you know. Um anyway, so graduated high school and um went to college with some of my friends and you know uh college was very lonely for me it was um 
I don't know. I just, um, my alcoholism just went in overdrive um, in college. And I, I just remember feeling just really alone. And um, my last year of college, I do have, uh, you know, outside issues, drugs in my story. My last year of college, you know, everything that I, everything that I ever used was um, used in a way to allow me to continue or to, you know, start whatever it was, to recover from alcohol, to continue to drink. Um, so all of those things, it was always just like a way for me to do my first love, you know, alcohol. And so I was um, a senior in high sc- or a senior in college, and uh, started <clears throat> I started using um, something that would you know keep me up all the time. And uh, originally, my friend and I we had started using this because we had seen where uh, you know people had really lost a lot of weight on it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this was this was in the 97 98 and um you know i think i still think today like we we're the we somehow we got the batch of of crack cocaine with blubber in it because we didn't lose a fucking pound i mean uh, and you know so what we did do though was develop a habit right and um you know people will say well why does anybody ever start heroin or why does anybody ever start using this stuff and it's it's this this problem that i have of this super optimism you know where i think that i see you you and you become you know hooked on something or this isn't working for you but like for me things are things are gonna be different like you know what i mean like i'll be able to you know put anything down or i'll be able to you know drink and drive for the 50,000th time and not get busted and you know I remember this guy telling me uh, he told my dad he said um, I'd been on my second DUI and uh, he's, he told my dad well you know Jessie ne- they, they call me Jessie Jessie will never stop getting DUIs until she stops drinking and my dad told me that and I said bullshit I was like I'll stop getting DUIs when somebody takes my keys you know, it's always your it's your responsibility, right? Not mine. And um, but they were correct because you know that's that whole thing is that I cannot predict what I'm going to do after that first one. You know, after that first drink, I cannot predict. You know, some of these people would say, you know, they lined up a cab and stuff like that, and I always thought that was fucking amazing. Like how how does how do you even think to do that? You know, because. Every time I ever started out drinking, my, my, I mean, of course it was to get smashed, but there was always this, like, delusional part of me that was like, I'll be able to drive home, you know what I mean? And never did I ever think ahead, like, maybe you should call a, a taxi, or maybe you should, you know, if I wasn't going home with, like, Joe Smo, you know, in, in the bar stool next to me, or, you know, some random man with a truck, then I was driving, <laughs> you know? And um, so my senior year of college, I um, flunked out, and um, my parents, you know, they came up there, and they one day I come out of my room, and I've got this house I'm sharing with a couple other girls, and 
they're sitting in my living room and you know I've always got a a man you know what I'm saying at this point it was this this guy's name was uh little red you know and you you always know you got a good guy when it's like two adjectives put together you know what I'm saying and um and me and little red were you know coming off a good one and He's like, yo, your folks out there. I'm like, what? You know. <laughs> and uh, I come out there, and they're sitting there, and they're like, uh, you know, we're not, we're not going home till you come with us. And they knew something was up. But they didn't know what, and they didn't know really what I was, what was wrong with me. And I was like, I'm not going nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, I'm an adult. Like you. And my mom said, well, I'll just sit here and lose my job, and you'll just be completely cut off because I won't have any money anymore, and so I won't have anything to send you. Well, that got my attention, and I'm like, all right, you know. Not thinking that I'd never be back, just thinking, let me appease them and go home. And um, so I went, I went back home with them to Frankfurt, and we, um, you know, I, they didn't really understand alcoholism or anything like that. They just... You know, this was 2000, the year 2000 or so, and I didn't have any kind of insurance or anything. And um, they put me in this IOP that was in Lexington called, uh, it was like St. Joe's Network. And at that time, this must have been the only intensive outpatient in Lexington, which is insane because, you know, now we're just like, you know, they're on every corner pretty much. And that's another thing I was really glad to see when I got here for this conference that it was like, uh, you know, this is AA, right? This is not, you know, sponsored by Aetna or WellCare, <laughs> you know? And, and, like, gosh, that's so refreshing because there's this, like, so much bullshit out there now, you know? Um, and it gets really confusing for newcomers on, like, what is AA and what is not you know, and what, what is treatment or, you know, whatever else you want to call it, which is, it's not a bad thing. But on the other hand, um, the two have almost become like talked about, you know, as the same and they're not, you know, and, um, there's a lot of people here and not here, but, you know, in these rooms that, you know, really don't suffer from what we suffer from. Um, and, and they may have just gotten caught up with whatever and become physically addicted and now we're trying to change them you know and have them submit to this way of life and like the book talks about you know going on to or accepting spiritual help or going on to the bitter end are not easy alternatives to face and I mean only us can can read that and just be like yeah you know and then one time I read it and I was like that is so hilarious like in what world would my choice be, you know, jump off a cliff or live happy. And I think to myself, gosh, that's a hard decision, you know, (laughs) you know, but the book says it like that. And it's, and you know, the first time, first hundred times I read it and I just read it and I just said, yeah, that's the truth. You know, it is hard. And, um, you know, we try to get them to do this, and, and a lot of times we get so frustrated, but they really, um, you know, they may not qualify. Um, so <clears throat> I come back <clears throat> and I do this intensive outpatient program, and 
you know, the, the <coughs> drinking is still, like, part of the scene. You know, my parents just, they wanted me home, and they didn't want me to do these extra curricular, ex- these extra outside issues. But um, never once was it, you know, you have to stop drinking, right? So <clears throat> I'm going to this IOP and, um, you know, kind of just half-assed. And I bet there was 50 people in that thing. I mean, it was huge. Um, and there was this lady there, and she was, uh, she was, her nickname was like the cocaine queen of Lexington, and I, oh my God, she was, I mean, amazing. I love this lady, right? Uh, I just thought she was so glamorous, you know, and it was crazy because I was, um, I was at a treatment center working, and she came in, uh, 20 years later here, and, you know, she had not um, changed, you know, what her... She didn't stop drinking or drugging, and so, you know, the years that had put on her life, because, I mean, she was beautiful. I thought she was just, like, the most glamorous thing, and um, when she came back in, you know, she was just beat down. But um, anyway, I didn't get sober at that point, um, obviously, because I didn't even stop drinking. And my disease just kind of manifested in different ways. So, I mean, you know, I'm home now and I can, um, live free of rent and everything else. And I somehow I finished school, um, in the local school there. And I, I could never get a job though, because, you know, I'm, I'm not functioning. Right. So, um, I'm going through different boyfriends, and, you know, they're all what they are, and I'm going to different substances, but I'm still drinking, and, you know, I move out, and I move in with another, with a guy that's, you know, I think is a dealer, sort of, but really he just re-ups from his mama, you know what I'm saying, and, um, and, you know, he drank like I drank, you know, uh, mornings, you know, he would always have the Mr. and Mrs. T's uh, Bloody Mary mix and vodka and <clears throat> and that's how I drank um, you know it was like wake up in the morning have one of those you know do some speed to kind of like get myself going and and then drink you know beer whatever just non-stop non-stop and then get completely smashed before I had to go to bed. And, um, you know, that's, that's just the way that I lived. I, uh, that's all right. <laughs> I, uh, eventually the two of us, um, kind of split ways and I moved in with this lady that had, a. She was working with me at this, like, tobacco shop, and she had, like, 19 cats and and four dogs, and um, she was one of these hoarders, you know, that was just, every room was stocked full of shit, and and I moved in one of the rooms, and, you know, I paid her, like, 50 bucks a week to stay there, and she was uh, the nicest lady, you know, but her whole life was was um could come down to one moment when she was like 22 and her second husband left her you know what i mean and ever since then you know everything can be blamed on that moment you know and 
So anyway, I lived there, and I mean, I just smelled like cat pee constantly, you know. It's really impossible to live with 19 cats and not smell like piss. Um, and so at this point, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the height of my <clears throat> disease. I'm, uh, I guess I was about 24, 25. Um, I was completely incapable of really holding down a job or anything. I, I would have these odd jobs working at, like, shell stations and stuff like that because those kind of places were good for me because, you know, <clears throat> I had access to beer, you know, and I especially like third shift because third shift allowed me to drink like I like to drink and still kind of look or, you know, still still keep a job, you know. Uh, I didn't have to worry about Sundays or any of that, you know, after 2 a.m. kind of crap because I'd just go back there in the cooler. And this was nice because back then we didn't have cameras. We had, like, those old rickety things. You know, there wasn't all this new. I would never be able to make it today, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, and so I'm working there, and, you know, um, uh, things are, I mean, I wake up every morning and I, you know, I have to gag myself and um, I'm drinking around the clock and um, o- over time I had been getting these DUIs, you know, they were really annoying, you know what I mean, but uh, I was on like my second DUI, I think, and I and I never, you know, drove with a license forever, you know, Um and I'd gotten this old bucket, you know what I mean, uh, just jalopy or whatever you want to call it, and I put it in some crackhead's name because he didn't care. And so I'm driving that around. It's like an old Buick Regal. It's like 82 or something. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to still be cute, you know what I mean? So I had, I had all these velour suits because I could never button my pants because I, you know, I drank so much, I mean, I was just like, I looked pregnant half the time, you know, and um, people would ask me, you know, are you expecting, and after a while, like, just like everything else, I'd just be like, yeah, you know, because <laughs> it was a lot easier than telling them, no, it's just like, you know, beer, you know, <laughs> you know, but when you're drinking like 24 beers a day you might as well be eating like two loaves of bread you know what I mean (laughs) and so I uh I would have I had all these velour suits and they're now they're coming back in I see them and I'm like yes the velour and I had one in every different color and thank god you know every once in a while I'd get a little sassy and wear one with something across the ass like juicy or something (laughs) You know, but I thought I thought they were so. I thought I was really hot shit, and um, you know, and um, at this time I had like I had I, I wasn't able to go to anywhere to get hair done, nails done, stuff like that. So I would just like take these um, frost kits, you know, for uh, ladies. You know what I'm talking about. And then, but the frost kits are real annoying because you have to like pick through all these holes and like pull your hair out. And one day I was like, God. This is so stupid. Like, just put the shit on your head, you know. And so that's what I had done. But I had been drinking, too, so I'd kind of fallen asleep. And when I washed it out, I noticed that the, the drain was like, 
this full of hair. And I'm like, shit. And um, so I had pretty much broken all my hair off, kind of like in a mullet, kind of like Timothy. <laughs> Timothy back there is kind of what it looked like. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but I compensated, you know, I, I got these like, you know, uh, Dollar Tree or Dollar General, you know, hair extensions and stuff. <laughs> and uh, so I really, you know, I really thought I was hot shit even then. I mean, there was a part of me that was, you know, still, deli- you know, that kind of knew deep down that, you know, I looked like an idiot. But I, that was just so over overdone with my delusional, you know. Thinking, which my delusional thinking doesn't end because I'm in sobriety for damn sure. Um, and so, you know, I loved, I was, I was such a loner. I, I mean, if someone had told me, you know, you need to call, you know, five of your friends to stand with you at a wedding or something like that, I wouldn't have been able to name two. Um, maybe I could have pulled a cousin or something, but I mean, even them, even they would have been like, for real? You know, I mean, I didn't have anybody. There was, there was very few people that, um, I associated with. And so my only real source of comfort was like men that I'd meet at bars or, you know, some guy that I'd drag home. And then, you know, I'd be upset that like, he didn't want a relationship, (coughs) a relationship with me. Like, are you serious? You know, you smell like cat pee. And also, you know, like, uh, you know, um, and so I would cruise, like, there's a street in Lexington, New Circle Road, and it kind of just goes around, but there's a part of New Circle Road that's kind of seedy, and uh, I had this old jalopy, and I had this these hair extensions, and I was, like, fake tanned, and I would go to these bars where there was, like, pool tables and you know I didn't particularly wasn't particularly good at playing pool but I just I could imagine that my ass looked good like moving over a pool table so like that was that was kind of the (laughs) that was kind of the whole goal of going to him I think now that I look back I don't know why I went to I was always in a pool hall though and um so you know I'd be driving and and at the time like uh there's this song it's just this picture of me in, in alcoholism. It's, there's this old outcast song called Fresh and Clean. <laughs> and I would play that Fresh and So Clean, and I would have this window down, this limo tent, and this regal. The door didn't, you know, latch. So every time I went around the corner, it would swing open. And <laughs> I had, like, these bungee cords going from, like, one side to the other, you know. And every once in a while, one of those bungee cords would come loose and smack me. You know? <laughs> and... I would stop, and I don't know what was going on with my vehicle, but every time I would stop to park, it would like there would be this smoke, you know, rolling around it, and um, I guess it was exhaust or something. I never figured out what that was, but I didn't really care because it made my insurance so much better. You know, I mean, I was walking in from smoke, you know, when I got out of my car, and it was like here I am, right, you know, fake hair and all, you know, juicy across the ass. And looking, you know, eight months pregnant or whatnot. Um, So, let's see, I guess it was 2005, I had uh, gotten my third DUI in uh, Nicholasville, Kentucky. And um, 
I had to go there for weekends. I don't know why they ever do this, but they gave me weekends in jail. And um, I thought that was great. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be able to show up. Now, I live in Lexington. It's not that far. And anybody with, like, some sort of friend network would have easily been able to get to Nicholasville. But for, for me, you know, the only way I got to Nicholasville was driving, right, uh, illegally, you know, to my weekends in jail. So one of these weekends... I get this idea, there's this bar next to the jail, and I'm thinking, oh, man, let's just go in there and just have one before we check ourselves in for the night. But, you know, for an alcoholic like me, like, no matter what my intention was, you know, I, I can't I can't have just one beer, right? And I, I never have been able to. Um, and, you know, I try to delude myself by saying that was my intention, but deep down I always know that, that that's not the way it ends. And, you know, when I was in this IOP I was talking about in Lexington, um, I had this guy running the group, and I don't know, he, some kind of, I guess he was a therapist, but um, he gave us these cards, and, it, and on one side of the card it had a picture of him, I got, you know, a real humble guy, I guess, and on the other side of the card, it had, think it through to the end. And I remember when he gave us all these cards, and he said, look, I want you to put this in your purse or on you. He's like, and the next time you feel like drinking, I want you to look at this, and you'll see my face and read the back, you know, think it through to the end. And at the time, when I was in that IOP, that stuck with me because I thought, oh, well, duh, yeah, what, how genius is that? You know, why don't I just think it through to the end? You know, why do I keep doing this to myself? Think it through to the end. Um, I think later on that night I was using that card to cut up cocaine. Because, <laughs> you know, for an alcoholic like me, like, I, I, you know, thinking it through to the end, that, that doesn't even, you know, the crux of my problem is I can't, right? Um... And so the mental state that precedes the first drink for me is always, you know, delusional, right? Um, I never start drinking with the intention of, you know, waking up with random dude number 78 or, uh, you know, not being able to find my keys the next morning or, you know, whatever the case may be or in jail or whatever. Um, You know, I start drinking with you know, a fresh new optimism, which is so ridiculous, you know. So anyway, I um, ended up, where was I at? Well, I just lost my train of thought. Um, Weekend jail. Yeah, weekend jail, that's right. And I ended up, yes, and I ended up not showing up, of course, because that's just the way I go. So I had this warrant out for my arrest, and um, I had to go, you know, turn myself in. I was going to have to do more time for something else and so all of it was just overwhelming I ended up calling my dad saying I think I have a drinking problem and he's like yeah no shit you know (laughs) and he's I said can you pick me up and he he did and there was nowhere that would you know this was um, 2004 or 5 I mean you know Affordable Care Act insurance hadn't really been on the scene maybe it was no I don't think it was yet and so I didn't have any insurance of course 
And I went over to UK, and they were like, we don't detox. So I ended up going to um, Eastern State Hospital because I told UK that I wanted to kill myself because a really nice social worker came in there and said, look, we can't keep you, but if you say this, this, and this, we have to take you by ambulance over to Eastern State Hospital. And I said, great, you know, and so, and so that's what I did. And I didn't really want to kill myself, but I, I, you know, I did dread waking up in the morning every day. And that's one of the greatest blessings of, of Alcoholics Anonymous and sobriety is this whole waking up and, and not having this awful dread, this awful feeling of, you know, what did I do? What do I have to face? What do I have to, you know, concoct, lie, manipulate, steal to get um, where I need to be? Um, and there's like this like two minute, I always say there's like this two minute period or I, it seems like two minutes, probably like 30 seconds. But I can just remember when I was right in the midst of my disease that where I would wake up and there was, it was the silence, you know, it was just you and God and, and you're sitting there and there's no busyness yet. And so you have no one there there's nothing there but what you know you've done and what you know that you have to do today. And it is the most, you know, horrible, horrible period. Um, that remorse, you know, the, the, the horseman that they talk about in the book. Um, so I ended up going to Eastern State Hospital and I stayed there um, for... Four weeks, I guess. Um, I really, and the, the best thing about Eastern State Hospital was there was this lady there that introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous, and she took us to meetings. And uh, I, you know, from the very start, you know, I really, I loved Alcoholics Anonymous. I really did. I wasn't one of these people that like dreaded meetings. I loved them from the very start. Like I, I heard people talking there about. Um, the way that they thought, and I and I was blown away that people actually thought the way that I thought because I, I'd always thought that I was just there was something wrong with me, right? You know, even when I was a kid, you know, even way before I ever started drinking, you know, I I had this malady, right? I wanted to change the way I felt, you know. I can remember being seven or eight, and we're playing Barbies. And, you know, I'm taking Barbie and I'm putting her and taking all her clothes off and putting Ken with her and putting her in the, you know, little bed in the dollhouse. And my friends are like, oh, that's weird. And I'm like, no, it gives me a good feeling. Leave it alone, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't know what that is, you know what I mean? And um, <laughs> so... There's, you know, there's no doubt that there's something wrong, I guess. Um, <laughs> but she introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and I got out of uh, Eastern State Hospital, and I started going to meetings regularly. But, you know, that was kind of what I did, and, and I did get a sponsor, but, like, oh, man, that was just so icky trying to call that woman. You know what I mean? Like, ugh. And so I never did work a program. Of course, you know, I started drinking again. And the whole deal was I had to go to a treatment center. And the only ones that were available at that time, I was waiting on a bed to a treatment center. And 
And that's the, the crazy thing. Back then, you actually had to wait on a bed. You know what I mean? There was no getting in the next day or we'll come by and pick you up, you know, like fucking car rental and service nowadays. But then, you know, you called and you got on a waiting list and, you know, you were on that waiting list for damn near a month and a half before they called you back and were like, your bed's ready. And, you know, so that's what I, what I had to do. And I, the Hope Center was pretty much the only place available to me. So <clears throat> I'm on the wait list for that. And um, I get in there and, you know, uh, when I came into the Hope Center, I was like 25. And I think I was 27 or 8 when I left. I mean, I was in there a long time. You know, these people are like, 30 days, I can't do it. And I'm like, try, you know. 22 months flat, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, but that was what I needed. I needed a whole new, I, I needed, a, you know, to live differently every single day. I needed somebody to tell me to make my bed and clean myself up and show me how to do this and that. And I just live. And um, the thing was, though, like even, even going through that and having all that knowledge and everything else, you know, I got out of there and I still drank, you know. I still drank. And at this point, you know, I'm, I don't understand why, you know, and, and this was the real baffling feature was this, like, utter inability to, to do it or leave it alone, you know. And I <clears throat> um, couldn't quit. And um, I would come into AA and I would, you know, get a white chip and then I might even stay around for a 30-day chip. And then I would leave and I would drink and, um, and I would, you know, just make a whole mess of myself and then clean myself up or try to and come back in and get another white chip and leave. And, you know, at this point I was working at uh, Bob Evans, working as a waitress, and my grand sponsor which she just passed away uh, a couple years ago, but she was, she was a regular at this restaurant and she would, um, see me and she'd say, you know, Jessica, she said, you look a little bloated this morning. Are you okay? And I'd be like, God, this bitch, you know what I mean? (laughs) And, um, she would try to get me to go to these conferences and stuff. And I'd be like, I can't even, I just, I haven't even been to bed lady. Like, you know what I mean? Get out of my face. Um, but that AA was always there, you know, and, and that <clears throat> and finally, um, it was, it was 2008 and, uh, you know, the thing was, is that I had had this such a peace of mind when I was, you know, in this program that my bar now for ease and comfort was at the level of this consciousness with God, right? And this being in this kind of fourth dimension and, and being, you know, right with the world and, and the feeling that you get, you know, that you've been looking for your whole life is, is when you, all of these things are in order. And I'd had those things in order. And so the drinking was never getting me to that point. You know, it, it did bring me a little bit of ease and comfort, but I had known a greater level of ease and comfort by being here. You know, and somebody said one time in a meeting, they were like, I don't know why people go back out. I guess they just get too happy. And that's the truth. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know why. You know what I mean? It was, um, 
it completely baffled me because my peace of mind and the, the way I was in recovery was so good. Like, why did I want to keep screwing that up? Um, but I did. And, you know, I don't know. There was, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, that I maybe hadn't worked out so much with my sponsor or with steps and stuff and, uh, hadn't been completely honest, but you know, it all comes down to first step. You know what I mean? It all comes down to first step. Even though I felt good in recovery and I felt, you know, when I was doing this work, what would happen is I'd get restless, irritable, and discontent right after being in here for a little while. And, and you know, my disease will come to me and it will say the most craziest things. You know, it never says, like, it never even tells me, let's go drink, honestly. It, it really starts way back, you know, where it's kind of like, let's work this extra shift, you know what I mean, and miss your home group. You know, who cares? Nobody in there really gives a shit, you know. Or let's do this, let's do that, let's well, let's stop by here. I mean, you, you don't know if he's really doing all that still. He might not be. Or give him a call back or, you know, text him or, you know, do this. So it's uh, the devil always comes dressed in his best clothes, you know, and that's the way my disease comes at me. It comes at me in different ways, and it separates me from the solution. It separates me from, from you all. It separates me from the truth. You know, to where, to a point to where I can't even see it, right? Um, and I get, you know, in that mental obsession, and I don't even know that I'm there, right? I, I, I just um, drink, and are, and all bets are off. And so, I uh, finally, I'm out with a, a girl that, you know, I actually met in treatment, you know, because that's kind of how it goes when you've been in treatment. For when you were ever, if you're ever in kind of recovery, then, well, for me, you know, this other girl that went back out, and so we we went out for, uh, we were out doing uh, other things and, and drinking for about three days, and, um, you know, her daughter was with us, and she was a baby, and it was just so ugly, the stuff, and it was just like, you know, um, a lot of just really insane behavior, and... <coughs> You know, I, I'm one of those drunks that, you know, eventually, you know, I have to start, you know, prostituting myself. And, and not that I'm a very good prostitute. I think the most I ever got was like 75 bucks. I mean, uh, but it does become a means to an end, you know what I mean? And um, so after those three days, you know, I was, I was in my apartment and I got up and I just... Oh, I just, for everything in me, I did not want to drink again. I mean, everything in me. And I was so done. And I had been to this point before, but there was a new um, kind of air about it that was just like, you cannot. And I got on my knees and I asked God to help me. And I, and I meant it with everything in my body. I was so desperate, so desperate. And I, I walked up, you know, I woke up that morning and... um Went about my day, I still had this job waitressing, and little by little, you know, one day became two days, and two days became three days, and um, I would play this game when I was coming in and out of the rooms that was so stupid. It was like, well, I've only got two weeks, who gives a shit, you know, let me just drink. And I would play this game where, because I didn't have enough sobriety, I didn't have much sobriety time, it really didn't matter if I relapsed or not. 
you know, and I mean, how disease thinking is that? So <clears throat> I had to get over that, you know, and um, I guess about a couple months into this, my last run and uh, coming into sobriety, I met a man. He thought that I'd been in the program for years because, like I said, I never stopped coming to meetings. You know, I would just come to meetings and I would, you know, do my best to be in there and really hope something stuck and then leave and drink, you know. And so he didn't, to his benefit, he didn't know. And so we started dating and he had about 10 years and I had, you know, six weeks or maybe less, five weeks or something. It was crazy. Uh, and we actually um, were together for about a year and got married and uh, and that doesn't work for everybody going out with an with an old timer when they come in fresh. But for me, you know, God knows how I am. God knows what makes me click. God knows, you know, what works for me. And not saying that uh, this is why I stayed clean and sober, but but I am saying that it helped a whole lot for that uh, to be in my life at that time. Um, it really pushed me into more. And so we were divorced, you know, after two years because that's just what that is. And it was funny because we got a divorce and we went in front of the judge and the judge was like, he wanted us to talk to him in his chambers. And I'm like, what the hell? Um, and he said, uh, he said, well, were you guys even sober? When you got married, because we were only married for like six months, you know, and I'm—I mean, he's sitting here like, yeah, eleven years sober, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is this is the insanity of you know, sobriety is its own insanity, you know. If it's if 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 my disease isn't treated, you know, and even with uh, step work and, and stuff like that, I mean, not until the last five years have I really understood what daily maintenance is all about right um and so moving on um i was married again and uh i this time i got married and and i you know swore i was going to do everything differently and um you know my my husband at this time was a detox coordinator at the hope center and like there was no way that you know, we were just, we were just gonna, you know, do all this great stuff. We bought this house and this cul-de-sac, and it was perfect size, and um, we were gonna have children, and you know, yada yada. And um, I got pregnant, and uh, you know, not not long into that, like I miscarried, and uh, and so then I was, I was uh, pretty much under this conception that I had like I was damaged goods because out there when I was drinking when I was young um you know anytime that I when I got pregnant I would just you know go take care of it at the clinic you know because I could not drink alcohol um it wouldn't stay down I I, I mean it, it like it just didn't have anything to do with me it would just come right back up I couldn't swallow it like it was just it made me sick and so, you know, just like anything else, if something comes in the way of me drinking, like, it has to go, you know. Uh, no human power can relieve me of this alcoholism, and that includes a 
baby in my belly. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that we have to remember is, like, just because that happens doesn't mean that all of a sudden I've never, I have I've always been in awe of women that have been able to carry a term and not been in recovery because it's just baffling to me. Um, and so, you know, and I didn't do that once, you know, I didn't do it twice. I did it a couple times, you know what I mean? And, and I remember this one girl in treatment was like, well, I understand why you did it once, but like, why did you have to keep doing it? And I was like, because I'm incapable of taking a birth control pill every day if I'm drinking. I, hell, I'm incapable of, you know, wiping my ass, but let alone taking a birth control pill, you know. Are you serious? Like, I can't, I can't do anything. All bets are off. I'm not, I'm not capable of doing a, a whole lot, right? Um, and so I pretty much thought, well, I must be just damaged goods, and I can't, you know, get pregnant and whatnot, and... Slowly, our relationship started, you know, drifting apart, and, um, you know, I had a lot to do with that, too, because I, in a part of me was still, you know, in love with my first husband, and um, I had this idealization of what I wanted this marriage to look like, but, you know, you can't change anybody, you know, and, and nobody could tell me I couldn't change anybody. I knew that I could make this into exactly what I wanted it to be, which eventually the pressure of that you know, was probably unbearable when I look at my part in this whole thing. And here I'm sober and I'm doing these things and, and I'm making my husband miserable. And, um, you know, what does he do? Well, he starts, first he starts, you know, gambling. And um, next thing I know, you know, I find these, like, cans of uh, whatever, keyboard cleaner all over the house. And I'm like, what the fuck is this, you know? And he's still doing this detox. Uh, he's still the supervisor of detox, but he's getting high. And uh, I find him, you know, with, I finally find him one day with his wrist cut, you know, and blood's everywhere. And um, he tells me that, you know, he has uh, been cheating on me with this other lady that was a friend of mine, a real good friend of mine. And um, somehow... Um, you know, he started, not somehow, but he started using again, and um, he was, he was just a mess, and so um, he had actually gotten her pregnant as well, and um, which was the worst part of it for me, because I thought that, you know, the, our sex life being in the toilet, you know, had to do with something else, like something physically wrong with him, well, it ended up, it was not, and um, so we ended up um, getting a divorce, of course, and um, which was, you know, just what happened. And they're together now, and, you know, I wish them the best of luck, and, and I think, you know, they're still together. But right after, I'm trying to hurry up a little bit here, right after we had gotten divorced, um, you know, God has got a sense of humor, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, I, I needed a, somebody to come over and fix some stuff in my house, you know, and I've, I've still got this sex problem going on. And, uh, you know, the the guy that's the, the handyman, you know, I start kind of dating him, and, and what do you know, I end up pregnant, you know. And um, so my daughter's name is Grace, and uh, she's, she's, <laughs> she's five, 
she starts school uh, this year, actually next week, and um, she's, you know, the love of my life. And uh, so anyway, <clears throat> our dad and I have a, you know, complicated relationship. Um, but, you know, here I was 10 years sober and, well, let me back up. Before I had her, um, I'm nine years sober and I've just got this divorce and I'm acting out and I'm completely just, you know, they were talking about last night, one of the speakers, I can't remember what the girl's name was, but Carol from the meetings that was like, uh, you know, the orgy and writing the thank you letters, you know, and and that that lady was my sponsor, um, and so at that time that was my sponsor, you know. And I, and I mean, I'd purposefully kind of gotten her because it was like low accountability, and it was just kind of like, let's just meet up for shits and giggles, you know what I mean, and talk about some people in AA. And I think her advice to me when all this was going on was like, ah, oh, you've got to get laid, you know. And I was like, yeah, you're right, you know, that's my problem. And, um, so, <clears throat> super sick, you know, I mean, um, and I can remember at one point I was, I had gotten that awful ache back, right, that uncomfortable, and, and that not feeling, I mean, I was I, coming out of my skin, right, and I'm nine years sober, and I'm coming out of my skin, and, um, I, um, uh, I called a lady, I texted her, and I said, uh, look, I need your help. I mean, are you sponsoring anyone? And she said, no, but, you know, let me see. She said, I'm, I'm full, but I can I can see if somebody else will or whatever. And so she, she said, well, call my sponsor. And so I called her sponsor, and um, I really didn't want to have to call this bitch. You know what I mean? Because I knew, I, I mean, I I had known this lady for a long time, right? And, like... Yeah, I didn't want to call her, you know. Um, but she's still my sponsor today. And, <laughs> and that was a God thing because we had known each other. And Frank, we had known each other before I ever got sober. We had known each other and stuff. And, um, and you know, so I meet up with her. And, you know, the first time I come, I bring my book. And it's like, I just thought I was so clever because I put, like, I blackened in like the ho no mo on, t on the front of the book you know and she looked at that book and she said no mo she's like since when you know what I mean and, and uh you know she had my number you know I mean so I went back through this work and I did it differently and I did it the way that that she wanted me to and I did the way that it we, we met every single week and I and I'm put statements into questions and I answered them and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I looked at the bedevilments and I finally understood the spiritual malady that I had you know that that me being off the beam was going to show up you know in all these different defects and that you know that was the issue that was where I had you know some sort of control was keeping with this maintenance because I had to keep this path clear because I had no power I'm powerless um and so you know, we do this work, and we do this work, and, and, and I'm meeting with her every day, and, um, you know, by the grace of God, like, things changed, you know, and, and I got into this emotional sobriety, I guess is what you would kind of call it, and, um, 
and I thank God for good sponsorship. I thank God for people that understand what we're supposed to do in here and, and they're able to translate it to somebody like me who can't hear anybody. I mean, half the time, I, I, like, my sponsor is my sponsor because she, she is, but she's the only voice that I can, female voice I can almost hear in AA that tells me what to do because I'm so freaking arrogant, you know what I mean, that I really, anything else that anybody else says, I'm just like, whatever. But with her, I can follow her instruction. Um, and that's always been my problem, you know, this lack of ability to follow instruction, period. You know, to the point to where now I own my own business because I can't follow anybody else's freaking instruction to save my life. You know, so even in sobriety, I'm like losing jobs because of my defiance. Like, what the hell? How does that happen? You know? Um, and so I want to, I guess, round this up. It's it's always weird when it's on like the half hour because you kind of forget where you're at. But... um. So today, um, I, I forgot to mention that I did go back to school My about six months into sobriety. I went back to school, um, and that was actually one of the best things for me because it helped my brain kind of heal, and I, um, you know, got a master's degree and stuff, and I got a clinical license, and um, I worked for you know treatment for a very long time. And this last five years, though, or I guess it's been about four years, I've been able to expand kind of and get out of just treatment and work <clears throat> more in private practice. And I worked with, and I work today with like adolescents and teens and, and um, children and um, I do trauma therapy and I still work a little bit in recovery just because there's this piece of me that's still kind of sick and I love it, I guess. I mean, I don't know what it is, but like uh, I, sometimes I'll show up and I only work there part-time, but I show up a lot there just to just hang out. I mean, how pathetic is that? But um, but being in private practice is sometimes really lonely, you know, because you're by yourself and all you're doing is seeing patients um, all day long. So, um, yeah, so today it's just me and my daughter, and we, we have a dog, Lady Mae's pit bull, and the three of us, and, you know... Um, I still work with my sponsor every two weeks. You know, we still see each other. I still still do this work. Um, the last couple years, I had been so defiant on doing this 11th step. And I just was like, what's the point? You know, I work the steps. I don't have to do this crap. And once again, you know, I hit the spiritual bottom where I'm driving, you know, 120 miles an hour. I'm screaming at my my daughter. I'm mad all the time I, I you know and I can't figure out like why am I still going through this well I mean it was easy it was the maintenance right I wasn't doing any maintenance and so in the last uh, couple years or so I've started doing that and really looking at this stuff and um, it's changed changed everything it really has um you know, now I feel kind of like I forgot my shoes or something if I don't do my inventory. Um, I usually do it in the morning instead of the night because I'm just so dead tired at night. I just have to go to bed. But just doing it every single day is, is the point of it. So um, I wanted to close with, <clears throat> with 
with something. Um, there's this book. It's called like Sobriety and Beyond. Um, and it was, I guess it used to be called the Golden Book or something like that. But I thought it kind of went with this conference. And it said, uh, it says, uh, the core of their program consists of 12 steps, simple and solid. Its meat is the practicing of their conviction that only an alcoholic can fully understand another alcoholic. It is all something like the story of the little boy at the puppy sale who hesitantly edged up to the seller and said, Please, mister, I'd like to buy a puppy. How much do they cost? They are $10, he said. The child's face fell. I only got a dollar sixty-three, but I heard you had one with a bad leg. How much is he? The man looked at him, but you will never, he said, but that one will never walk perfectly, he said. You wouldn't want him. Hiking up his pant leg, the little boy showed a brace. I don't walk so good either, mister, and I reckon that's just the puppy I want. He'll need some understanding for a long time till he gets used to it. I did. Today, 150,000 men and women are sober because someone understood their problem and are now enjoying sobriety and beyond. So, I'm Jessica. I'm alcoholic. Thank you, guys. Thank you.